0: And this is Anatomy of Change, a podcast series about the struggle and connection in making courageous change in the systems and structures that threaten our lives. On this episode, we pick up where we left off and we explore the impact of social media. And platforms? Are we becoming more siloed between the echo chambers and bubbles? A portion of this episode was taped in December, and then January 6th happened with the insurrection at the Capitol. The conversation we had started centered around the very fractures that we no longer can turn away from. You'll hear the discussion of the before and after. Have the questions changed or just become more urgent?
1: I do believe that social media uh, and these so-called platforms are responsible for a lot of this um, segregation and divisiveness in the society today. By the nature of their algorithms and their growth objectives, they create these thought bubbles and they create what we call echo chambers. And why is that? Uh, It's very simple. Uh, What is the number one objective of any commercial enterprise you know under a capitalist system Mm -hmm. uh, is growth what does growth mean growth means more subscribers and you see that as the number one metric 100 million new subscribers in you know past year or in the case of tiktok hundreds of millions of subscribers in, in the past year Uh, You have the engagement metric, which has to do with how much time uh, your subscribers are are spending on your uh, platform. And how do you increase that is by feeding people uh, what they want to hear and content that uh, agrees with their uh, points of view already. Because if you had done the opposite, if you were feeding people things that they're uncomfortable with, it's a natural tendency. It's a sort of a self-coping mechanism. People will want to, you know, at first, um, you will want to shy away from mm-hmm. that uh, alternative uh, viewpoint, right? So it doesn't help their engagement metric and it doesn't help their growth metric. So so then what happens is that these platforms are going to curate content for you that by and large uh, agrees with your uh, predefined notions about the world, and that's how echo chambers appear. Divisiveness is promulgated by people not being aware of what happens outside of their bubble, and you know they thinking that they are the uh, owners of the universal truth and you know my bubble is how it is and nothing else matters and nothing else uh, is true right mm-hmm. so so then you get into the extreme of people that have forgotten how to speak to each other and they have forgotten how to carry a civil argument uh, and on top of that you know to to add the gasoline to the fire layer on this extreme radical activist groups, uh, which are going to exacerbate this uh, this problem even more. So that is how we lose uh, the ability to function as a society. That is how we lose the ability of thinking independently, because we're fed a constant diet of echo chambers and bubble thoughts. Uh, We're not exposed to diversity of thought. Um, It's all about diversity of image. There has to be diversity of thought Mm -hmm. and diversity of principles as well. And we have become uh, very afraid. So now you have business leaders that at the slightest sign of controversy that would have the knee jerk reaction of uh, moving away from something that they perceive it can harm their image. We are not allowing government to censor speech. Why are we allowing corporations to do that?
0: One of the biggest questions, it seems, that draws so much confusion is the definition of a platform and the difference between a publisher, an editor, or a generator of content.
1: In order to be a platform, you have to be a conduit. Uh, I mean, we, we have to agree on that. That's that's the definition of, of a platform. Platform is just a conduit. It's not um, a generator. Facebook and uh, Twitter, they stayed away, no matter what, from generating their own content. Because, you know, in doing so, they would be immediately labeled like content providers or news or media organizations, and they would lose their, their status of platforms, right? So, so they recognize that... Mm-hmm. Um, The generators of content are the people, you know, which we know in Facebook or Twitter, the people generate that Mm -hmm. content, or other organizations that are on that platform and, you know, they generate uh, content, and then that content is being distributed through this conduit of the platform. But it's the moment that they start to tinker with how that information flows uh, that we have to ask ourselves, are they still platforms? If we have a pipe that carries water to let's say villages and you know that's just it's just a neutral thing you can look at it is there is the water pipe that's carrying water to two villages or two communities right and then somebody comes in um from whoever it might be the owner of the water pipe doesn't matter really and then they tinker with that pipe and they change the flow And all of a sudden, you have one community, one village, receiving 90% of the water and the other receiving 10%. Is that still neutral? Is it still a neutral pipe or a construct? No, no, it's not. Now we're taking sides. Okay, so when we're taking sides and we are selectively editing and censoring content uh, in the pursuit of one point of view versus another then we have ceased to be a neutral platform uh, and we have become the biased platform. And that is why you have people that are abandoning these platforms because they feel discriminated against. Uh, So they are abandoning these platforms and moving to to alternate um, uh, outlets. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, the answer is it depends. If those alternate outlets are just going to be a replica of... Facebook or Twitter, just on the other side of the political discourse, no, they're not any better. You know, it will be the same problem, only flipped on its head, okay? But if those other outlets will allow diversity of thought and diversity of principles and will uh, allow debate and arguments and they will allow, you know, the bell curve of opinion, then they will be successful and they will thrive. Otherwise, they will just be yet another echo chamber.
0: First Amendment protects companies like Facebook, Twitter, and Parler, allowing them to moderate against illegal content and legal content that is abusive, such as terror propaganda. And that brings us to a startling reality right now. Facing impeachment, the president has been effectively canceled by corporate America, and those who left Facebook for Parler have been dumped as Amazon has walked away.
1: It may seem like uh, these actions taken by Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, uh, they, they were necessary and proportionate and good, but guess what? If you created these mechanisms that can be weaponized at corporate level to shut down and censor parts of the society, you're gonna be on the receiving end of that when the political winds shift. The moment you start moderating, You open the door for people to complain about uh, being moderated and other people to complain about not moderating enough. So, So it will never be good enough.
0: And this brings us to the acknowledged gaps. Internet companies do not have a common framework for how they protect against abuse, but not infringe upon freedom of expression. Tech is dynamic, and meeting the expectations of users to moderate just right will be imperfect. Back in February of 2020, Facebook released a white paper laying out an approach and questions to resolve for regulation. In it, a call for common frameworks between internet companies for regulating harmful content by articulating clear, predictable, and balanced ways for government, companies, and civil society to share responsibilities and work together. Without these frameworks, what Romeo shares next It is not hard to imagine that a growing number of Americans may draw the same conclusion. What
1: is happening is that we have corporations substituting themselves for due process. They are clear that for the next four years at least, they will be subject to a regular scrutiny that is going to come from the Democratic Party and from the Democratic House. Uh, So then they have preemptively positioned themselves allies of that. Uh, political party and the left by basically banning everyone else to the right. There has to be some limits, but they should be, you know, so uh, uncontroversial that, you know, no one can, like, you know, very, very, very small uh, percentage. So if we only eliminate the 0.01% of at the extreme ends of the bell curve, that would be uh, uncontroversial, right? But when you start to eliminating the 1% or the 5%, Uh, it becomes very controversial. I did say I'm uh, more of a libertarian in in my leanings. Um, And what I say here will go against that. Um, There has to be an element of level playing field. A level playing field means uh, not giving Undue advantages uh, or influence to one side versus the other. It's a slippery slope to start asking the platforms to to censor things, mm-hmm. because the moment you start doing that, uh, the sky is the limit. Okay, we can start shutting down things that we are not comfortable with, and by virtue of the law and virtue of the constitution, the government cannot suppress free speech and they cannot suppress. Uh, viewpoints but you know what they can do they can use these mm-hmm. platforms that today have an outsized influence on speech they can use these platforms as their length organization to to do just that there is an aspect of the online that should be subjected to the same principles of you know freedom of assembly and and freedom of speech so if today we do more of the assembly online than we do, then we do it in real life.
0: It is the public square now.
1: It has become the new public square. Do you not think that it should be protected by the the same type of uh, amendments? I personally believe that those amendments and probably a U.S. Uh, Supreme Court case is overdue. But I think that those amendments should be uh, expanded on or elaborated on to to clarify that they also apply to to the new public space which is the online in in a sense right yeah. so
0: i think this is the conundrum <laughs> so thinking about where we are now what would you like to see differently
1: uh, the ideal platform is the platform that allows all aspects of the bell curve with the good and the bad. A broad interpretation of, of uh, the Constitution that would be more updated to 21st century, I think it would be uncontroversially regarded as a bad act, cancelling you know, Trump and uh, uh, taking Parler o- offline and, and so on, right? And why I say that, so... I'm, I'm going to direct listeners to a very instructive uh, case uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, which is Marsh v. Alabama.
0: Marsh versus Alabama, 326 U.S. 501, was a case decided in 1946 by the United States Supreme Court, in which it ruled that a state trespassing statute could not be used to prevent the distribution of religious materials on a town's sidewalk even though the sidewalk was part of a privately owned company town.
1: So the whole town was owned, built by the company, operated by the company, managed and administered by the company. It was their property. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was to host people that worked for the company in that mm-hmm. area and, and so on, right? So we had this person, Marsh. She basically wanted to distribute uh, Jehovah's Witness, uh, you know, literature mm-hmm. uh, in this town The company argued that this was private property and, you know, they could prevent this person from doing that on the grounds that um, the rights are not protected by the First Amendment. Well, the Supreme Court basically ruled that uh, even though the town was owned by a private company, it was open for use by the public and and thus Mm -hmm. it became limited by the constitutional rights of the people that were using the Mm -hmm. town in that sense. You know, the ruling was that where private property uh, is used, you know, for public purposes, then, um, you know, constitutional rights Mm -hmm. will apply. So if we try to transpose this into the Mm. situation that we have right now, where, um, you know, freedom of assembly, in my opinion, was infringed by taking parlour down. Because mm-hmm. what, what is Parler? In this new world that we're talking about, uh, where you know, the online is the new public square, mm-hmm. Parler is a way for people to assemble and yep. you know, have belief systems and exchange their beliefs and have uh, you know, uh, political exchanges even, right? Mm-hmm. And you had a company like Amazon that unilaterally taken t- t- took them out their property. Right. So you tell me, how is this any different than Supreme Court case?
0: We were talking about earlier, what are the considerations that we should be thinking about in the business model itself?
1: Advertising profiles, they're being used to curate content. I should have a say in whether that type of curating and that type of shaping information is directed to me. Am I okay for that to to happen to me or am I not okay? We should allow people to make those decisions. It has been said uh, time and time again that it's not right for Facebook and Google uh, to, to make money out of people's engagements with, let's say, uh, a news media organization on their platform without that media actually making any money or making very little money in any case uh, from the content they they themselves have have generated. It goes back to the problem that we identified early on when we said uh, news organizations nowadays, they do not have the financial muscle anymore to be truly independent. So uh, here's an easy fix. Let's make sure that we quantify all this engagement that happens on social media and has to do with uh, news uh, content, and make sure, let's make sure we pay the true creators for that. So, most of the money there should go to the actual uh, content generators. So, and then you will see that there's going to be huge revenue streams that are to go to journalistic outlets. They don't have those revenue streams today. They are deprived of them. Um, you know, but, but with a change like that, then they will okay. have them and they will be in position to be independent again. Interesting. We should also give these platforms an opportunity to, to grow and make money and turn a profit in a healthy way and in a moral way. Um, so what I mean by that, to, today we have this situation where everybody expects everything for free, yeah. air quotes. So we, we expect that we're going to go there and we're going to create an account and we have access to all the services and I'm not paying for that and it's all free, right? So that, that's a wrong expectation to be had. If we have that expectation, and it's unfortunate an expectation that these platforms have pushed on us. So if we have that expectation, then it only follows that... With such a business model, these platforms have to make their money elsewhere, uh, and they will make their money by productizing the people. Mm-hmm. That's an unfair business model. It's unfair to the people, and it's unfair to the service providers themselves. If they had a different way to get revenue streams that would be based on just a pure service that they sell to the people, and they would not have the same major incentive to get financial growth uh, through these other means, platforms like this that have an outsized influence over the the society at large uh, this type of business model is damaging Mm -hmm. Um, so how how do we adjust and how do we allow these platforms to continue to flourish Because again uh, this is a concept of a level playing field it should be a level playing field for all actors
0: and then we discuss section 230 one of the foundational laws that enable the modern internet. Without it, companies could be held legally responsible for everything people say, and is the full circle on this debate. Private companies can create rules to restrict speech if they so choose. This is why Facebook and Twitter ban hate speech, even though it is legally permitted in the United States. These moderation rules are protected by the First Amendment.
1: In my opinion, 230 is a good thing. Um, in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. For true platforms, they should be sheltered from liability uh, for uh, the things that their users do there. And and of course, there's always limits to that. So if somebody uh, is advocating for criminal acts, Mm -hmm. but they should not be sheltered if they cease to behave as platforms. Uh, Then, if they become editors or publishers, then they should be treated as such. Section 230 should not be abrogated. Uh, it should actually be extended and clarified mm-hmm. to mean that those protections only apply in the case of the platforms behaving as platforms, you know. So, so we should articulate what it that means. Mm-hmm. If we manage to redefine Section 230 like that, you would see an instant stop, a hard stop to all this censoring of speech. Uh, you will see an instant stop to the platforming, to the cancel culture. There will be no more incentive for any activist groups to pursue that.
0: What would you like to end with?
1: It has become acceptable in, in the past 10 years, I would say, uh, for these extreme forms of cancel culture and the platforming and so on to take hold. Um, so I, I think maybe we may have already lost the battle for for some generations, but uh, I don't think we have lost the battle for all generations. If we prioritize feelings at the expense of facts and free speech, we're going to end up with uneducated people that are not going to be able to have that critical thinking. When we abrogate that responsibility for ourselves and we allow others to make decisions for us and allow others to think for us, that is when that battle is lost. You have to be looking for alternate sources of information. And I, and I know, you know, people that might be listening to this, they, they right away, they, they will say, oh, here's another conspiracy theorist uh, amongst us. Uh, when And, you know, the labels can be thrown around all day long. But the point is, when you rely on news that are curated for you, you lose the ability of critical thinking. People have to actively seek different viewpoints and different news sources and different media outlets. And sometimes it may even mean going to the propaganda arms of your enemies. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, channels like uh, Russia Today or, you know, China Xinhua Agency. Uh, Because sometimes they will tell you about true facts. You know, it's their propaganda. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, uh, uh, it is their propaganda, but you will learn about true facts that you are not getting anywhere else. The same way we got true facts from Voice of America that we weren't getting from our own regime Mm -hmm. or government. So again, why people are losing this ability of critical thinking is because people are relying too much on media and news content that's curated for them.
0: Next time on Anatomy of Change... Do we want to go back to January 6th? <sighs> Did the president incite violence?
1: If you're telling someone day in, day out, you know, that they're, the candidate they voted for uh, is a Russian stooge, um, how do you think they're going to take that? You know, they're basically going to become more radicalized and they're going to become more angry, uh, and they're going to become more ready to, to do mayhem.
0: Anatomy of Change is executive produced by Tay Moeller, with post-production, editing, and mixing by James Fleege. Special thanks to Romeo, TM, and AT. The original series music, titled Reborn, was composed by Adrian Berenguer. Additional music featured in this episode by Kadir Demir, The David Roy Collective, Philip Daniel, and James Fleege. Our website, where you can listen to all episodes, music, and artists featured, and find companion content, is anatomyofchange.org.